Sam Wilkinson recently graduated from medical school in May of 2021 and is currently doing a research year in ophthalmology. He talks about how important it was for him to get involved during medical school. He also tells a powerful story of dealing with the unexpected challenge of not matching last year. Sam, I'm so glad we get to talk. This has uh, been something I've been looking forward to. Um, this is a great moment. You've just graduated. Um, you're doing some research right now. We'll talk all about that. But uh, it's really a time to reflect. And we've worked together for four years and change now. So I guess my first question for you is just thinking back on the last four years as a medical mm-hmm. student, what what mattered to you? Yeah, I think first off, thank you so much for having me on this. This is such a fun experience and it is so, it is such a treat and a little bit surreal for me to be sitting here as a graduate talking to you because it, it feels so similar to all the times I was in your office as a first year, second year, third year, fourth year, and now um, as postgraduate. Um, and so uh, thank you for kind of maintaining that relationship. And I, I actually think that um, really answers your question as well. I I think when I think of my experience at the School of Medicine and and the most meaningful moments, all of them are really centered around the people I met, the people I interacted with, the relationships I built with classmates, with staff, with faculty. They were extremely formative. Being able to, at any time, kind of step away from whatever I was working on, whatever I was frustrated with, whatever I was you know, beating my head against the wall, uh, with it and step into your office and, and kind of reflect on things that is such a powerful tool and such, um, such an important thing to have in any educational environment, especially medical school. And, and I, I don't know why, but for some reason in medical school during the preclinical years and the clinical years, and for different reasons, you tend to be pushed towards isolation. And, and so, um, because of that, these relationships just become more valuable to kind of step out of your own head, reconnect with who you are, reconnect with your purpose and, and find your true north again. And so that I think to me is definitely the most, most important thing. And I've had those conversations and those moments with, with you, with Tony Sai, uh, some of my other faculty mentors and with my classmates as well. How did that come up for you? You know, you start medical school and I think um, a lot of our listeners are at that beginning stage or they're in their second year um what sort of a process how did you start to notice that you needed to stop and reflect it's a really good question thinking back to first year you get in this pattern of of building your life around every exam you're typically uh you you typically have an examination every two weeks and it's on a Monday, and so you kind of build your schedule around that. The weekend before the exam, you just know you're going to be studying, so you don't make any, you know, you try not to make too many social plans that weekend, and then you try to do all the fun adventures that you want to do uh, on the off weekend. And so it, it kind of becomes this this pattern, and you just kind of rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. And I think the more, the, the further you get into the first year, you kind of, it, it, it can happen where you kind of lose your lose yourself in that that pattern and you start to focus on 
the things that maybe weren't initially so important. And so to be specific on that, I mean, you start to focus on the exam score and, and, and have that as, again, as your, as your true north, even though that's not why you went to medical school. You didn't go to medical school to try to get 100% on every exam. Sure, you want to do as well as possible, but that, the underlying reason was to take care of patients. And so when you start to notice, at least for me, I started to notice myself just kind of obsessing with um, the practice of medical school. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, when you start kind of obsessing with that and forgetting why you're there in the first place, I think it's easy to start to get burned out too, because you don't have that underlying drive. You don't have that underlying motivation and passion to get you through the really hard things. Uh, and, and I, I don't think most people can really just grind without a purpose. And so, you know, when you find yourself just thinking, why am I doing this for the 17th weekend in a row? Like I need to you know, what, what is the point of this? That's when you've got to step back and say, okay, who can I talk to, to remind myself why, why I'm doing this? And what, what, what is the point of, of studying for the umpteenth hour in a row? And when you find that purpose, you can power through any of anything. Yeah. Yeah. And it almost makes me question, you know, what does that, what does that do for you? You know, um, when you're, when you're in that mentality, why am I doing this? Uh, and you get that bit of perspective again, or you mm-hmm. remember, you know, oh yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. Um, mm-hmm. What did that, did you find that that helped you sort of get through? I mean, now you're, you're here on the other side of it. Yeah, I, I think absolutely. You know, in the short term, it's easy for us to remember what we're doing and why we're there. But when we, when it feels like we're kind of seemingly deviating at times, even though we're really not, we're, we're heading in one direction, but sometimes it feels like we're not heading towards our goals. Um, it's, you can kind of forget that endpoint. And so reminding yourself of that endpoint really puts everything into perspective and it completely changes the whole experience of studying the whole experience of being on a clinical rotation, you know, being able to stop and think, you know what, this is, so painful and I'm having so much trouble remembering all of these drugs and their side effects and just remembering, you know what, this knowledge is such a rare thing and such an important thing for my future patients. I I think it just completely changes your attitude and completely changes how receptive you are to the information and, and completely changes how you interact with that entire experience. Yeah. And I remember you would sometimes even make book recommendations. So we would have our talks and um what i appreciated about our talks is that you would set up a time and it wasn't um to talk about some resource or service you needed it was like hey i need to i need to check it i need to Mm -hmm. just kind of hear myself talk and hear myself sort of go through this and when we would talk you'd also sometimes mention books i remember like a tim ferris book tools of the titans you had said what books kind of helped you also get through i think there are three books that three non-medical books that every medical student should read. Uh, the first one is Grit by Angela Duckworth. And she basically talks about how we need to be passionate about things and we need to engage with things over a long period of time. And you have to be willing to work through things even when you don't want to. And that last element right there is really what will get you through get you through really difficult training like medical school and like residency. So I think that's a really important one. And the second one I would say is spark. 
Spark is all about the uh, mental benefits of exercise. So it doesn't talk about any of the kind of weight loss or um, it, I guess the other health benefits, the, the non-neuro benefits of, of, uh, of exercising, but it's just purely the mental benefits. And in medical school, you're so stressed for time, but exercise is so important. And it can be such an important stress reliever for so many people. And it can really, it actually kind of can help you learn better as well. And so I definitely, definitely recommend reading Spark. And then the last one I'll say is uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And that kind of talks about what we were talking about earlier, where uh, you can survive and get through anything if you hold tight to something meaningful to you or if you really understand your why. And it's a Holocaust survivor who talks about his experience and kind of seeing um, the people that he lived with and kind of watching as people, you know, they, they found out about loved ones outside of the camp passing away. And that would be that individual's meaning and they would, they would, deteriorate very quickly they wouldn't be able to survive the same same amount whereas people who even if it was you know even if it was a false belief even if they just believed that their family was out there even if they weren't that belief would be strong enough to to carry them through just the most horrific things that can happen to someone yeah and i appreciate all these books that you're saying they're they're like a, a set of references that turn into a toolkit to sort of get through what is most certainly um from my observation, one of the longest marathons, uh, professionally speaking, that I've ever observed and helped people through, right? Yeah, I'll just add that I think the sacrifice and the length of time that it takes to get through medical education is something that I don't think most of us can really fathom as pre-meds. And I know that the admissions committee really tries to find people that have spent a lot of years preparing themselves for medical school and have had a lot of exposure and, and really understand it. But unless you're actually in it and walking the walk, I don't think you realize how long it takes. And you know, when you start to get through and you, you graduate medical school and you look at how much, how many years you have left compared to maybe your, your friends that graduated from undergrad at the same time and have seemingly progressed very far in their careers and seemingly are, are are able to financially do things that you won't be able to do for a decade or so. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think then it starts to really dawn on you that this is a large, this is a large sacrifice and, and you've got to mentally prepare accordingly. And, and sometimes you might deviate and that's okay. You just need to kind of reset, reground yourself. And that's what the network's there for. Yeah. So how did specialty exploration happen for you? I think like most medical students, I had a, a little bit of an idea of what I wanted to do going into medical school, but I w- was trying to hold an open mind to everything. I I thought I wanted to do oncology. Um, I, I had had some experiences with my family with cancer and that had given me a lot of exposure, uh, exposure to that field. So my first year, I or after my first year, I spent the summer in a lab uh, working with an oncologist, and that that was a really that was a good opportunity to see a, a different side of oncology that you don't see in the classroom. I thought that was really helpful. And another thing that I did was I started to think a little bit more about surgical fields. There's a program called the Seed Program here at the University of Utah, um, and you you spend a different day or each day with a different specialty within sur- surgery, and so you get a little bit of exposure to general surgery, and then the other subspecialties are all just kind of luck of the draw. 
So for me, that was uh, one of my first exposures to ophthalmology. We just did a little two and a half hour wet lab where Dr. Jardine taught us how to sew a banana under a microscope. And it, it was really, it, it was eye opening for me because I, um, prior to that experience, I thought I would have really hated anything micro. <laughs> I thought I, w- I would prefer like working with larger things. And that was the first thing kind of opened me up to this whole world of, of microsurgery. So third year came around and I, I think third year is really where you find out, you learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about your, your specialty choice. And I, I look back at how much we stressed first year and second year about figuring out what who we are and what we want to do. And uh, I, I personally completely underestimated how much I learned about myself during third year and how much it would help me narrow down what I want to do. And so that was a really strong start for third year for me. And I, I thought, okay, this is great. Let's see if anything can beat this. And so um, throughout the rest of the rotations, I always kind of kept an open mind and like, okay, was this, it, was this as fulfilling as ophthalmology? For, for me, I realized, you know, I don't want to be rounding on hospitalized patients. That's, that's not that's not what makes me feel connected to the patient. And so I really preferred kind of outpatient situations where I felt like I could develop long-term relationships with people. So those were the things that were really important to me. And I, I felt very comfortable by the end of third year, knowing that ophthalmology is what I, what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think that's such a great process because you talk about the first and second years helping you sort of see, um, the more macro level who you are, like these are my values and these are the things I care about. And there's like a larger purpose idea that's starting to form for you. I know a lot of students wonder, how did you find mentors along the the way? So prior to medical school, I'd spent some time um, in the business world. And one thing they say about being an entrepreneur or one common mistake of entrepreneurs is they they're afraid of people taking their business ideas, and so they never tell anyone about it, and they never talk about it. And generally, that does kind of a disservice to the entrepreneur uh, because you never know what what kind of happy accidents are going to happen. And so kind of the alternative approach is always talking everywhere you go, kind of telling you, oh, yeah, this is what I'm working on. This is the project. These are the problems we're running into. And this funny thing happens where people say, oh my goodness, you're kidding me. That's so interesting because I actually have like this similar thing that happened at my company and let me show you how, how we did this. And, and, and you have these kind of happy accidents where you find, you know, business partners or you find solutions. And, and I think the same thing happens in, in medicine. I think we need to kind of have this open discussion with our mentors about what specialties we're thinking about and, and what, what interests us and, and that, that can be, uh, it, it doesn't even have to be medical. It can be kind of policy issues or it can be um, technology innovations or anything along those lines. So I, I would encourage students to, you know, talk to the lecturers. If you watch a lecture and, and you and you really resonate with something that was said, whether it was medical or, or non-medical, reach out and just say, you know what, hey, like I really, this part of your lecture was really interesting to me because of X, Y, and Z. I'd love to talk more about it if you have time. 99.9% of faculty are going to be very on board and very supportive and, and so excited that you're reaching out about it. I mean, they're in this business to connect with students. Right. Um, how have you sort of built upon those relationships? Because I know you have some relationships right now that have been really key for you. So how did those sort of happen? Mm-hmm. What kind of things did you do to nurture those relationships? Yeah, I think anytime you have a mentor that you're not seeing on a regular basis, 
it, it's it can be difficult and it, easy for that relationship to kind of fizzle out per se. And so, uh, like for example, Dr. Morton is someone that all medical students see repeatedly. That's an individual that if I mean if if that's um, I mean, it, you're kind of in the wrong graduate school if that's what you want to do for your, for a living. But if, if anatomy is, is your passion, that would be an easy mentor to pick up because you have all these occasions that are formalized and you're going to see them again and again. The majority of the time, a lot of the, the lectures in medical school come once and then that's the only time you're going to see them. Or you work with them on rotation for just, you know, five or six days and then and that's the last time you, you formally will see them. And so I, I think it's kind of the onus is on the student to uh, frequently, I guess I shouldn't say not too frequently, but find a right balance of, of kind of reaching out at regular basis and, and um, you know, either updating them on your progress or uh, kind of just touching base, seeing if you can meet up for coffee, meet up for lunch, that sort of thing. But I, I think the medical student kind of needs to drive that that relationship and don't be afraid to reach out. And when you've mm-hmm. reached out and, and had interactions and so forth mm-hmm. and checked in, um, what has been the experience? So with your current mentors right now, how did that sort mm-hmm. of come about? Yeah. There, anytime you work on a project together with someone, you're going to get, you're going to develop that relationship further and that person's going to know more about you and they're going to be able to, I mean, ultimately say more about you on your letters of recommendation as well. So I think, you're asking mentors for research projects and, and see if you can contribute in that way. I think that's really helpful. One thing that I did not do well during my uh, first few years of medical school was even suggesting research projects or finding my own research projects and bringing it to my mentor. Most mentors would absolutely love that if you came to them and said, you know what, like I, I noticed this and it, it doesn't have to be absolutely groundbreaking. You know, you don't have to solve world hunger with your, your research idea, but you know, this is an interesting pattern. I want to learn more about this. I'm going to start, you know, working on this. This is my plan for this project. Most people will be blown away by that and, and mm-hmm. say, absolutely. Yeah, let me know what I can do to help. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, f- for me personally, like my um, ophthalmology mentors, they're people that I've I reached out to for advice throughout the application process, reached out uh, talking about research projects, reached out talking about even kind of extracurricular things going on, like outreach programs or um, school of medicine events, things like that. But go ahead and, and be forthcoming with, with your interests and what, what you're working on. I want to talk about, you know, you get into your your fourth year, and I would just love to to kick that off and talk about your your match process and then and then where you are now and how you sort of navigated that. Yeah. So last year I uh, applied to ophthalmology. I Ophthalmology is an early match. So we submit our applications a little bit earlier and then we have an earlier match day. So this, this last cycle, it was on February 1st. So I submitted my applications, was feeling pretty good. You know, I think normal amount of nerves, did I get a high enough score on this? Did I do enough of this X, Y, Z? And and kind of going through this whole reflective process. And I, I remember submitting my application and I felt pretty good. You know, I was feeling like, you know what? I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know how competitive I am as an applicant, but I think this process will will be all right. And and a, a couple months later, ophthalmology tends to send a lot of their interview invites out uh, fairly early. It's usually the first, first few weeks. And 
uh, by the end of the first week, I only had two interview invites and I knew that was a really bad sign. Well, I, you know, kind of doubled down and made sure like, okay, I only have two opportunities. I'm going to put all of my energy and effort into preparing for these interviews. And, you know, all I need is one program and I'm just going to kind of do my best and, and, and see what happens. So I found out, uh, February 1st that I did not match. Next step there is immediately, you know, are there any openings? How can I scramble into this? And so there's about an, I think it's about an hour delay before, um, any program openings, uh, pop up and there was nothing, not a single open spot in ophthalmology. And so it, it really, it, it was uh, pretty surprising, but I don't think it really dawned on me in that moment. I, th- I think then I turned to looking for research opportunities and these, uh, what they call pre-residency uh, research fellowships. Ophthalmology has uh, a handful of them uh, across the country. The best program, in my opinion, is here at, at uh, University of Utah at the Moran Eye Center. Um, and so I, I applied to this program and interviewed just a week later. And what I think it was within three or four days, found out that I had been accepted to the program. And so it was just this like really quick turnaround and this, this whirlwind of events. Slowly after that, I had to kind of return to fourth year and normal, normal fourth year things. And I, I think it started to dawn on me more and more how this would affect my uh, future career and this delay in things. And um, there are times where I was very disappointed in myself and I would think back and think, you know, if I had only done X, Y, or Z, or if I had only done this. And, and I, I think that was kind of okay to, to grieve over this experience, but ultimately at a certain point, you know, I, I just had to kind of say, you know what, this is where I'm at. I can still do this. I just need to focus on doing my best and, and preparing for the next application cycle. And I, I really, I had to check in with myself and to return to the beginning of this podcast, I had to remember my, my meaning and my purpose. So I'm working hard right now to do some, some really solid research in ophthalmology and prepare my application for a second cycle. And I'll submit that in about a month and a half. And, and hopefully that, hopefully we'll have a, a different result, a better result this right. next time around. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I guess I appreciate so much your process of uh, sort of facing that and uh, finding your way, you know, through uh, something that was very unexpected and, and challenging mm-hmm. to navigate. What are some of the, the things that kind of helped you figure your way out? I needed room to, to vent and safe spaces to vent <laughs> and, and having colleagues and, and mentors that I could uh, kind of share my feelings with and share kind of my thoughts and then kind of just get it off my chest and move on. I think that was really very important and helped me stay grounded. I had really a, a couple people that had been through similar experiences that I had very critical conversations with. One was in the same field as me and another one was in a, in a different field and hearing about their experience, how they felt similar to how I felt and kind of validating those feelings, but then seeing both of them ultimately be very successful and and find a lot of fulfillment in uh, the positions that they're in now. I think that was really encouraging. So many people have stories of setbacks of, of not matching that get through that and they ultimately find find their path. And some it's in their original specialty choice and some it's not. Both cases you can find happiness. And so I think that was really really important to me. And, you know, we don't have to have exactly one outcome to be happy. You know, we're very 
goal-driven, very (laughs) target-oriented individuals in medical school. And sometimes things don't go our way. And those things are okay. You can recover from that. And most successful people don't have a linear path. Most, most people have different kind of detours that, to get to where they are. And the key is keep checking in with yourself, reflect, figure out, okay, is this really what I want to do? Am I going in the direction that I want to go? Am I, am I doing this for the right reasons? Or am I doing this for me or is this for some other purpose? And if the answer is yes, then, okay, what do I do to get there? And then you've put your head down and get there. <laughs> right. Um, um, closing up, we're, we're mm-hmm. just about out of time, but I, I always think about the first year and second year students. And, and I think your story applies as well to people who are currently deciding many things about specialty and they're in third year and they're on a rotation right now. You've given us a lot of words of wisdom, but other just final sort of wrap up takeaway that you'd say to the folks that are feeling really overwhelmed and like they're unsure, maybe they feel they've made a mistake, maybe they're overwhelmed and needing to reconnect with themselves. What's the Sam wisdom for that person right now? First and foremost, check in with with yourself and see what you need. If you are so sleep deprived and if you're not taking care of yourself at all and you're not really eating, you're not really doing the things to keep you healthy, that's going to have exponential effect on, on everything else you do in life. So check in, see what you need. It's okay to take a moment. It's better to take a second to have that important conversation. Take that, that time to to connect with a loved one and and open up to them and, and share what you're feeling, get those feelings out there, let people know how you're doing, go to the gym, go for a, a walk, do something to take care of yourself, eat a healthy meal, like do, do something. And then you'll be amazed at how much more productive that makes you and how much more clearly you're going to be able to see things. And, and, and really it comes down to priorities. Maybe you're not going to be able to do every single thing that you wanted to do, but sometimes it's just our we get a little bit frazzled and we think, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be able to do anything. I feel so bogged down. And then getting a clear perspective, kind of checking with yourself, taking care of yourself can help you see, wait, actually, like these are the three most important things that I really need to focus on. You know, four items four, five, and six can wait until next weekend or maybe aren't as important as I had originally thought. And you'll find you have more energy <laughs> to yeah. do these things as well. Right. So talk Perfect. to people. Love it. Check in with yourself. Take care of yourself. Well, thanks, Sam. As usual, great to talk to you. And appreciate all that you've done. And obviously, I'm excited about your future. I think that it is bright, and I'm certain that it will continue to unfold, and, and you're going to find the path that you've been searching for. And I, I think it's going to be great. Well, thank you, Tom. This has been such an awesome experience to to chat with you. And it's really heartwarming that even as a a graduate, I can still come back and connect with everyone.